All right, we are in Philippians chapter 1. This has been a very unique week for me. Uh, I'm not going to fully tell you about it today, but maybe on another occasion I'll tell you what happened to me this week. But one of the things that you don't have in your bulletin that you usually do is uh, questions for your life group. And uh, what we're going to do, that's my fault. I had just this crazy week that happened to me. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get those questions to the life group leaders on the city. And uh, so we'll let you life group leaders know how to get it. And uh, also for the congregation, we'll let you know how to get it. But those will not be in the bulletin today, but we'll get those to you. But we are in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 uh, through 30. And uh, Paul is uh, writing this letter from prison. It's a, it's a prison letter or a prison epistle. And he's writing uh, to this church that he's planted in Philippi, uh, not to be confused with the Philippines. Uh, <laughs> that's a cheap preacher's joke. Anyways, uh, but uh, Philippi, um, which is uh, uh, Europe, and, um, and he's writing this letter to him. And so let me just pick up. We're going to finish out chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Let me just finish out uh, the way it reads, all right? Verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Now, here's what I want you to know this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus in this world, you are going to have trouble in this world as a result of your faith in Jesus. You know that. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. He promised his disciples that they would have trouble directly as a result of their faith in Jesus. In fact, he promised that they would suffer, that they would be persecuted for their faith. And the same is true for you. In fact, Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Paul says to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, not You might be persecuted, not it could happen, not you're going to go through trouble if you believe in Jesus, not you might suffer if you believe in Jesus. There will be on some level for you and me, if we are really believers in Jesus, we will suffer as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's just going to happen on one level or another. Now, there's two kinds of suffering for a Christian. There's the suffering and the persecution that happens outside of the church. 
right? When you're outside in the church and you're a Christian and you're a believer in the workplace or sometimes even in the home or in your family or at the Thanksgiving table or if you're a missionary in China, then you really have to go through persecution as a result of your faith. Maybe you are a believer at the risk of your own life because of secular authorities or people outside of the church will persecute you. And so that's one kind of suffering and persecution that happens as a result of being a believer. But check me out. One of the things that gets overlooked many times, and I want you to focus on this, is that sometimes and many times and in some ways you will be persecuted for your faith inside of the church. You will actually suffer at the hands of other people because of your faith in Jesus inside of the church. Satan attacks us outside of the church, and Satan attacks us from within the church. And what Paul is trying to tell the church in Philippi is he's like, look, I know that you're worried about me because I'm in prison, but my bad circumstances have actually turned out to advance the gospel. I know that you're worried because, uh, uh, because I might die, and I very well might die, but to die is gain because then I get to be with Jesus. But no matter what happens to me, here's what I want you to do. And look at verse 27. He says, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, no matter what happens to me inside of the church, your unity inside of the church must be intentional. You must be intended or be intentional about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Because there will always be, now this might be controversial and you can email me and I'm not trying to be negative, but listen to me. In every church, ours included, there will always be a Judas at the table. There will always be people in the church that have a spirit about them that is not consistent with the gospel, not consistent with Jesus. And Satan will use them wittingly or unwittingly to discourage you in your faith to get you out of your ministry, to get you out of the church, to so discourage you to where you will become disillusioned, sometimes spiritually burned out on the church because people inside of the church will persecute you and cause you to emotionally, spiritually suffer because they don't have the spirit of Christ and they don't believe in the gospel, but they're in the church. The church will always have that, loved ones. And if you're one of those people, let me just in a positive way say, you've got to repent, change your mind, walk in the truth of the gospel, walk in grace and love, walk in your own forgiveness. Remember how you are saved. You are saved because Jesus died for you. And don't let Satan use you or I pray that Satan won't use me to discourage you or or you to discourage me. Why do you think Christians in America go from one church to another church The sheep shuffle happens all over America. And why do you think pastors have a hard time? Do you know that 85% of seminary graduates, 85% of graduates coming out of seminary leave the ministry within five years of being a pastor in the church? You want to know why? Because they suffer at the hands of people in the church who don't walk in the gospel who don't believe in grace. 
And some, some Christians even leave a church and they want to go to a church and just be safe and not be totally committed and not totally be involved and, and not go cross the line of membership or not really take over a ministry or not take leadership even though they're being called to because they've been hurt, they've been scarred, people have hurt them. It's persecution, loved ones. Suffering. And Paul says to the Philippians, don't be frightened by your opponents. Don't let people stop you from striving side by side, united for the faith of the gospel. And this morning, I want to use this text briefly, hopefully very powerfully, to give you a few tips on how to survive and thrive in the church without letting suffering or persecution stop your ministry and stop your joy and your growing affection and maturity in Jesus Christ, no matter who's in the church, no matter who tries to discourage you. Number one, here's the first thing you need to do. You need to... Love the gospel of Jesus more than your church. Love the gospel of Jesus more than your church. And you will survive and thrive in your church. You will have persevering faith. You will fulfill your ministry. You will be happy. Nobody will discourage you. Satanic or spiritual attack won't stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. And for some of you, if you love the gospel more than your church, you'll be healed from any scars that you've gone through because of persecution in the church. I have to love the gospel of Jesus more than I love Crosspoint if I'm going to be your pastor for the long term. For more than four years. Everybody jokes around. With, I went out with the young at heart. We went out on a date, didn't we, young at heart? Uh, we, and we actually ate, we ate lunch in a bar, didn't we? I almost started drinking with them, but, you know, decided not to. They were joking around with me. They were like, you won't last long. Maybe, maybe four years you'll be here, and then we'll run you off. You know what I'm saying? We run each other off, don't we? How do, how do we get to a place where we're not running each other off, and we're not leaving because our feelings get hurt? Because, listen, it's not about you. It's not about your church or the history of your church. You know what it's about? It's about the gospel of Jesus. Paul's like, you're not striving for the name of your church in Philippi. You're striving for the faith of the gospel. Side by side. In fact, that's an athletic term. He's literally using Greek words that stand for teamwork in the Greek language. Teamwork. And the teamwork is for what? For the dignity and the maintenance and the museum of your church? No. For the movement and the faith of the gospel. We are a team. And what are we a team for? Not the dignity of our church, but the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. The faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel stands for the objective facts of the gospel. What are the objective facts of the gospel? What is it that I'm supposed to love in the church? I'm supposed to love the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is, number one, when you and I were born and when all human beings were born into this world, we were born jacked up, true or false, sinful, Radically corrupt, theologians call it. Radical means at the core of our being, we were corrupt. Not totally corrupt. I had qualities that were nice before I knew Jesus. Amen? I I was talented. 
I was a point guard in basketball. I was a real short, short point guard. I started, you know what I mean? I dribble between my legs, and then I dribble underneath their legs, and I jump. Get my, oh. A white man can't jump. Oh. We're not totally corrupt when we're born into this world, but we're at the core of our being, we're corrupt. The gospel says that at the core of our being, we have turned our backs on God. We have rebelled. And even those of us who are moral, type A moral people, who are good citizens, we're prideful. There's self-righteousness. There's a sense of superiority at the core of our being. We're corrupt. And the Bible says that a holy God has to judge corrupt people to eternal judgment forever and ever. That the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And Jesus came into this world to liberate us from our own radical corruption. And he died in our place as our substitute on the cross for our sins. And then he was buried and he rose on the third day. The way I like to describe the gospel is Jesus died to be our Savior. And he defeated death to be our daily Lord. The gospel is not a me change. The gospel is not self-reforming myself. The gospel is not improving my morality. The gospel is surrender. The gospel is an exchange. My sinfulness for the righteousness of Jesus. That's the gospel. And the objective facts of the gospel, the faith of the gospel that we're striving for, is that as a result of believing in him, we will one day be raised again with new bodies in the second coming of Jesus, and we will live with him forever and ever. And the gospel, listen, the faith of the gospel is that it is a proclaimed announcement. Gospel literally means the proclaimed good news, the proclamation. God has entered the world. Jesus died for us. He rose on the third day. We're striving not only to believe in the gospel, but to proclaim the gospel in as many places to as many people as we can because our mission is to make more and better disciples of Jesus simultaneously. That's what the church is all about. Not kind of about, all about. We're striving, we're united, we are one. We've been saved by this gospel. Even though I was a sinner, even though I was totally in rebellion against God, even though I still make other things a priority over God, I am saved by the work of Jesus in my place. And I believe that, and I sing it, and I celebrate it, and I pray it, and I want to proclaim it to the world. And what we're doing is we're coming together and we're saying, this is what saves us. What saves us is not religion. What saves us is not our own works righteousness. What saves us is not what we do for each other. What saves us is the work of Jesus. And what can save other sinners is the work of Jesus. You want to know why persecution happens inside of the church and why they're suffering and why we cause each other harm in the church is because we leave the gospel and we make it about our church and not the gospel. Make it about our family and not the gospel. We make it about ourselves and not Jesus. Loved ones, hear me. It's all about Jesus. First to last, A to Z, Alpha and Omega, everything in between, it's all about Him. 
We are a proclaiming community. We are a theater of redemption. We are a theater where we're announcing the good news. We're saying to the world, I have found contentment. I am sustained. I have more than enough in God, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I want everybody to know it. Paul's like, no matter what happens, if they chop off my head in Rome, church in Philippi, If I die, if you never see me again or never get another letter from me again, keep striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And let me just stop right here before I go to the next point. Do you believe in the gospel? Let me ask you a question. What makes you right with God? I'm not going to assume that you know what makes you right with God. You might actually think... How many funerals I've been to, and, and it seems like sometimes that people think that they're justified before God by death. Well, since I died, I must be justified with God. Or some people think that because they're born, they're justified. Well, because I've been born, I'm justified with God. Or because I go to church, because I have a great church, because I love my church. Does, is that what makes you right with God? The only thing that makes you right with God is not anything you have done, but everything that Jesus has done. Have you exchanged your life for Jesus? Are you saved by grace and not by works? Listen to me. It is not about great faith in God. It's about faith in a great God. That's the gospel. The gospel is a faith in a great God. How can I survive and thrive in the church even when there's persecution, even when there's suffering in the ministry? And there will be suffering for us. And there's going to be suffering for me as a pastor and for you as you get involved in life groups and get to know more and more diverse people. There is suffering (laughs) because people are jacked up. And if you're new around here, let me tell you something. We are not perfect people. Far from it. We're hurting too. We're trying to get healed up. We're trying to grow and mature. We're trying to be transformed. Your own pastor. Somebody said to me, you know, as a pastor, you shouldn't admit how weak you are. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. And every day I wake up, I need the mercies of God to get through the day and honoring and glorifying God every single day. Me and my children don't levitate at home. We don't have halos. We don't float around. You know what I'm saying? When I write these sermons, it's not like I go to my room and an angel Gabriel comes down, la, 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 this shall be your introduction for your sermon, you know? Like I have to drink Coke and write out and write stupid stuff down before I get the sermon right, and sometimes I still get up here and say dumb things, amen? <laughs> it's like, I'm a sinner, saved by grace, get over it. Somebody was bragging about their pastor. My pastor was so godly. He used to show up at his office at the church at 5 a.m. in the morning just to pray. (laughs) I ain't that guy. I'll tell you that much. I will not show up at 5 o'clock to pray at the church. I'm sorry. Not going to happen. Let's just hope I pray at 10 o'clock at night. Amen? Okay. We are sinners saved by grace. We are fighting not for our own righteousness. We are not fighting for our own dignity, not for our own glory, but we are striving for the faith of the gospel. Here's the second thing. Love the gospel more than the church. The second thing is this. Don't be intimidated by those who don't understand grace. In 
in the church, you're going to run into people who simply do not understand grace. They don't believe in it. They think it's silly. They think it's scandalous. They think it's ridiculous. Practically, they are not grace-oriented people. And they are your opponents, and they will be your opponents. Don't be intimidated by them. You see that in verse 28? He says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And Paul's always talking about opponents to the church. Now, he could be talking about opponents outside of the church. He could be talking about opponents outside of the church. But I know that in Philippians later on, and certainly in his other letters, he talks about opponents to the gospel inside of the church. And who are the opponents inside of the church to Christians? Legalist. People who believe in works righteousness. People who think because they outwardly look like Christians, that you should outwardly look like a Christian like they look like a Christian. People who passively, aggressively, covert hostility Stuff they tell you in a million different ways that you're not good enough, you're not godly. And they come inside of the church and they come up with their own rules and they come up with their own righteousness and they come up with this superiority. And I'll be honest with you, they are overwhelmingly impressive. They're impressive. And we get intimidated by them. And we see them and we go, I must not be good enough. I'm not like her. I'm not as godly as he is. I'm not as, I'm not as godly as she is. I better just kind of back off. I better, I better just kind of, you know, I, I, I'm going to be intimidated. I don't, I don't even want to deal with them because they kind of got a little bit of a bark and they're, they're kind of impressive to me. They look spiritual and I must not look spiritual. I'm just going to back off. See, this is how people don't make commitments in churches. This is why they don't make a membership commitment. This is why they don't make a leadership commitment. It's because they back off because they've been hurt somewhere along the way. Somebody has so impressed them and so overwhelmed them and so intimidated that, that they're frightened to do. They're fearful to do what God wants them to do. Loved ones, you are called to ministry and you are called to serve one another and love one another not because of your own works but because of the grace of Jesus. And the thing that makes you powerful in ministry is not what you work up but what you are given in the strength of Jesus. I'll tell you what, this just came to me. Go in your Bibles to Colossians. Let me show you how Paul talks about it. Paul talks about this all the time. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. But I want to show you something. This has changed my ministry and my perspective about my work in the church. And I want to show this to you. <clears throat> Go to Colossians chapter 1. Now, I think this is a Holy Spirit moment because I didn't have this plan. And I really think that this is, just, this is just a good thing right here. Colossians chapter 1. And you are not to be frightened by anybody no matter, or intimidated by anybody no matter how good they look. You're just as right with God as anybody else if you believe in Jesus. And you have just as much ministry as anybody else because of Jesus. Now look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and following. It says this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now watch this. Look at verse 29. This verse changed my ministry. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, do you see what he's saying there? He is saying, I am toiling. I am struggling to do ministry. I am toiling to do church. But I'm not toiling and struggling in my energy, but in his energy. Not in my power, but in the power he gives to me. What, how's he say it? Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Loved ones, what this means is we're not just saved by grace. We are ministers in grace. We are transformed by grace. Everything that we have today, every inch of growth that we will get tomorrow is not because of our own works, but because of his grace and his power. A lot of Christians think, and it's easy to get confused on this point. I've gotten confused on this. A lot of Christians think I'm saved by grace, but then I have to do the rest in my own strength. I got to do Christian life in my own works. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm justified by grace. But now I got I to kind of do the rest of the Christian life on my own and in my own strength. That's not what Paul says. He says everything we do is by grace and in his strength. First to last, from grace to grace, from faith to faith. I am depending, I am surrendering, I am exchanging my life every day for his strength, for his power. Now listen, people are going to come along and they're going to say to you in, not directly all the time, sometimes directly if you're a pastor, but this probably won't happen to you, it's more indirectly, but they're going to say to you, you can't really do this. Even Satan might whisper in your ear through other people, you're not really, you're not qualified. Jesus qualifies you and Jesus equips you with his power and with his strength. And we will not let anybody who walks according to works righteousness intimidate us from doing our ministry. We walk in grace. We do ministry by grace. Don't be frightened by people. Don't be intimidated by people who don't understand grace. Here's my final thing. My final thing is suffer in ministry for the reward. Look at verses 29 and following. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, note this is a gift. This is your gift from Jesus. It has been granted to you. It has been gifted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer For his sake. In other words, you should look forward to it. You should anticipate it. It's a gift that Jesus has given to you. He's equipped you to suffer. He's made you. What was it Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in the cost of discipleship? He bids you to come follow him and die. You're you're literally called with Jesus in the ministry to suffer. In other words, if you're doing ministry and you're not suffering, then you're not doing the ministry God wants you to do. Okay, I'm just saying. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Now, everybody look at that word suffer. The the Greek word for suffer, 
The Greek word for suffer is agon, which I really like saying because I just like saying, I like saying agon and I like saying again because it makes me feel smart for a moment, briefly. Agon is where we get our word agony from. Now, you say, well, that's not interesting. Ah, but this is interesting. Agon was originally used for the arena where athletic contests would happen in the Greek world. People would go through agon as like a contest or a competition to get a reward. In other words, it's, it's the same thing. Many of you, you're going to go home today and you're going to watch football. Some of you cheeseheads are going to go watch the Green Bay Packers. Amen? I told you last week I'd bring you some Green Packers, uh, some Packers illustrations, all right? And you're going to go watch the cheeseheads and they're going to enter L- Lombardi Field, the frozen tundra, right? And they're going to, although it won't be frozen today, but they're going to go in there and they're going to play football and they're going to battle it out. And you know what they're going to go through in that arena? They're going to go through agony. They're going to go through a gone. Now, are they happy or unhappy about going through agony today? Are football players, do they want to go through agony today? Do football players get fired up about going through agony? Do they? Yeah, they do. You know what they're doing? They're going, right now, they're getting all pumped up and they're taking steroids and they're, you know what I mean? And they're getting all hyped up and they're hitting each other and they're slapping each other and they're, they're making each other suffer. Now, why would they want to suffer? For the prize. For the prize. Paul is saying, this is what I think Paul is saying. Jesus has granted it to you. He has given you a gift. And the gift is this. You get to believe in him, which is a wonderful gift. Amen. But you also get to join in the arena of suffering for the gospel. And the end result of suffering in church, in ministry, going through persecution, going through confusing signals, going through confusing people. The the whole purpose, the whole end game result of suffering in the gospel is a reward. is a prize. Look at, uh, look at 1 Corinthians Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 9. Paul says this early, earlier in his ministry. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 and 25. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. Now, turn with me, after having read that, turn with me to 2 Timothy, which is towards Revelation there. Uh, 2 Timothy in chapter 4, and look at what he says at the end of his life. And, And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to evict from your heart and your mind and your soul any sentimental idea about Jesus' church that does not include suffering Hard work, 
getting mud on your face, going through it, getting in the arena. Listen, Christian church mission, ministry, your ministry is getting in the arena, putting on the pads, bumping, high-fiving, hurting. But it's all for the prize. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 and following. He says this at the end of his life. This is the last letter that he would write. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, he's saying, here's the deal. It is a fight. You are in a fight and you are in the arena and you are in it for the agony and the suffering. But at the end of suffering and at the end of all of that persecution and all that confusion is a reward. And that's why Paul is always comparing the Christian life to a race. He's always comparing it to a fight. He's always comparing it to an athletic contest because just like athletes are more than willing to suffer in order to win the game. He says to the Philippians, man, you've been granted the the same opportunity and yet the prize you get is eternal. Suffer for the reward. Don't look for a church. Don't look for a ministry where it's easy, where it's safe. And sometimes I think that maybe, and, and even in talking to myself and my own mentor and talking to other people, sometimes I think we choose a small church like this sometimes to kind of keep it safe, like... Maybe I won't get hurt here. Maybe, maybe with this small church, I won't get mud on my face. Maybe I can just kind of, kind of halfway kind of do something, but I won't, I won't get hurt. And I hope they don't want to grow the church because then if we grow the church and then, you know, then you get, it just gets, it gets dangerous. As soon as Jesus came into your life, your life got dangerous and it doesn't matter where you go. You're you're a danger, and you're in danger. Because all the demons and Satan are attacking you, and, and, and your faith is being attacked all the time. And so you might as well live your faith on purpose, on mission. You might as well get in the arena and come fight for the gospel and advance the gospel. Stop looking for safety. You know, it's funny. I mean, we look at the church different than we do any other thing. When I was growing up, all right, I did choir and show choir. Now, if anybody holds that against me, I will beat you up. All right? I was in it for the girls. I admit it. But I did dances and singing, and I did them both at the same time. But I want you to know something about my show choir. We were good. And you want to know why we were good? Because... Mrs. Dawson was mean. She was mean. She was this big, mean lady who said, dance, 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 sing. I mean, it wasn't like glee. All right? I mean, she was mean. And we beat everybody in the state of Oklahoma because she was mean. And I would go home to my mom and I would say, Mom, Mrs. Dawson is so mean and she won't let me hit on girls. And my mom would say, good. <laughs> now we get in the church and we start getting challenging to, to Christians and we start saying, it, it's time for me, I, as a pastor today, I'm going to get mean with you. And how dare he get mean? 
you know? And I've been a youth pastor, and I've gotten challenging with students. And then, you know, parents come and say to me, you know, I didn't send my kids. I sent my kids to church to have a good time, not for you to get mean. And it's like, well, did you say that to your son's coach, football coach, who gets in his face and grabs his helmet and says, come on, Smith. I mean, I had a baseball coach. I had a baseball coach. I won't repeat his language here because we are honoring Jesus. But let me tell you something. He said to me one time in baseball practice, he said, I can pee further than you can hit a baseball gutter each. <laughs> I, I go home. I said to my dad, I said, do you know what Coach White said to me? What did he say to you, son? He said that he could pee further than I could hit a baseball. And my dad looks at me and said, well, you better start hitting the baseball further. We accept this kind of suffering, this kind of agony, this kind of challenge in the athletic arena because athletics is our idol, because that's acceptable, or because we want our kids to be the next glee or the next American idol, so we're okay with them suffering to learn how to become a good singer or good at talent. But when we get in the church, we expect the church to be all wimpy and safe, and I hope I don't get hurt, and I hope it's small so that I can know everybody here. Paul's like, what are you doing? Strive for the faith of the gospel. Advance the gospel. Make sure that people are believing, getting baptized. By the, by the way, for clarification, I'm always bringing up baptism. You're saved because of faith alone, not because of baptism. But baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality that's happened because of regeneration. And it's clear that in a church, baptism should happen regularly. And the mission of the church is to make more and better disciples simultaneously. And if you don't want to strive for that, you don't want to get mud on your face, you don't want to get in the arena, you want something safe and wimpy, who's, what God are you worshiping? Paul's like, you have, been give, you have been given the opportunity to be in the arena to suffer. And sometimes you're even going to have enemies who are going to attack you there. Passively, aggressively sometimes. But that's okay. But it all comes back to what, what do you believe? What do you believe about God? What, what makes you right with God? If it's grace, then isn't that something we should be advancing? Suffer for the reward. Get in the arena. Don't be afraid of mud on your face. I got to stop. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that not only would you save us, but that your energy and your power and your strength you would give to us by grace so that we can walk in the truth, not in our own strength, but in yours. Jesus, help us to love the gospel more than our church. Lord Jesus, help us to not be intimidated by those who don't understand grace. And Lord Jesus, help us to be willing to suffer, but for the reward, even to suffer in joy. Jesus, you suffered for the joy of our salvation. You knew what was at the end of the cross, and that was the reward of us. So help us to be like you, to bear our cross, to walk that road and to experience resurrection and new life and help us to see the church not as a sentimental maintenance museum program but as a movement for the gospel.
Help us to pray for it like that. Help us to pray for others. Help us to, help us to really desire that your gospel would advance in our world, in our time. We love you. If you don't know Jesus and you want to respond to him and his grace and you want to exchange your life for his, we're going to sing a song and I'm going to have everybody stand up. Let's just stand up right now as we prepare to worship. And, and if you want to accept Jesus, I want to invite you to come forward and to pray with me over here off to the side. I'm going to be on the front pew and you receive Jesus into your life. But if you know Jesus, worship him. Thank him for his grace and his love. Thank him for making you a priority even when you didn't deserve it. Thank him that he not only partially saved you, but he completely has saved you. His work on the cross is more than enough to make you right with God. Let's just worship him now.